Did you know that in 1929, women marched for the right to smoke? But was this really part of the women's suffrage movement? Or was this all just part of an elaborate stunt cooked up by a marketing genius? Hey y'all, I'm Christina, and on today's episode of History and Hearsay, I'm going to tell you all about it. I guess we can blame World War I for the rise of cigarette smoking in America. During the war, cigarettes were rationed to soldiers. Each soldier was given four cigarettes per day. The soldiers reported that smoking helped to calm their nerves during the stress of war, and this led to many non-smokers picking up the habit. And as a result, after the war, cigarette sales in the U.S. were double pre-war numbers. And this meant that cigarettes began being heavily marketed to men. So inside of cigarette packs at the time, there were these little cards that were used to give the package more stability. And at first, these little cards were just blank white cards. But then companies saw a way to increase sales by turning these little white cards into collectibles. They started printing photos of various sports players and even scantily clad women on the cards. Well, scantily clad for that time period. Most of the ones I saw were probably more covered up than the average woman you see walking around these days. In 1928, George Washington Hill, the president of the American Tobacco Company, which was the parent company of the Lucky Strikes brand of cigarettes. Well, George, he realized that a lot of money was being left on the table by not marketing cigarettes to women as well. And when speaking of women as an un tapped market for cigarettes, George said it would be like opening a gold mine right in our front yard. So when this light bulb went off, cigarette companies began selectively advertising to women. But there was a lot of pushback on women smoking. It turns out that while including cigarettes in a soldier's rations during World War I had greatly increased the popularity of smoking, it had also framed the public perspective of smoking as a very very manly activity. And it also meant that it gave a negative connotation to women smoking. A woman smoking was not seen as something that was proper to do, was kind of taboo. It was seen as ruining their femininity. And the basic perception was that only women of ill repute, those with loose morals, or women of the night. Those were the kind of women who smoked. Not wholesome housewives, at least not in public. George Washington Hills, he was no feminist, but he was an opportunist. So he hired a public relation expert to help him solve this problem, and that man's name was Edward Bernays. During World War I, Edward Bernays was hired by the Committee of Public Information to create propaganda to encourage both domestic and international support for the war. The message he was to convey was that the U.S. was joining the war to restore democracy to Europe. That campaign was extremely successful and Bernays began to see that his skill set could be applied in other areas. And Bernays said, I decided that if you could use propaganda for war, then you could certainly use it for peace. So he brings his expertise with him into the private sector. And because he understood that the term propaganda had like this negative connotation to it, he actually started calling it Public Relations Council. Interestingly enough, Bernays was actually the nephew of Sigmund Freud. He was a double nephew, in fact. Bernays' mother was Freud's sister, and his father's sister was married to Freud. <laughs> 
After his success with spreading his propaganda for World War I, Bernays' uncle Freud sent him a copy of his book, A General Introduction to Psychoanalysis. Now, most of us are probably familiar with the basics of Freud's well-known ideas, a lot of psychoanalysis, sexual desires, the subconscious and unconscious mind. And it's said that Bernays was completely fascinated with these ideas and the complexities of the human mind. And it's also said that he actually grew up hearing a lot of this from his parents because, you know, Freud was part of his family and so his parents would discuss these Freudian ideas over the dinner table and so Brene kind of grew up surrounded by it. So now that he's an adult, he gets his book from his uncle and it was said that Brene's often referenced his uncle's work and he began to realize that he could use all of these Freudian ideas of appealing to the unconscious desires to manipulate people into buying things without them even realizing what was happening. Brene's was said to be the first to incorporate psychology and other social sciences into PR. Up until this time in the 1920s, products were marketed simply by their practical use. So it was like, buy our oil for deep frying. It has a higher smoking point than other oils. Or buy this car, it's fast and it's reliable. But after the end of World War I, when you had the rise of products being made in factories and mass production of products happening, companies started to worry that people would actually get all of their needs met and eventually people would no longer need to buy new things. Now, I know it's hard to imagine these days, but at that time, it was really only the upper class that were said to buy like luxury items and your everyday working people really just bought the things that they actually needed. Now, side note here, I would say I'm betting things were made to last back then too, so maybe that ties into all of this. I didn't really see anyone in any of my research connecting the two things but that's one thing that popped into my head is like, you know, your grandparents are always like, they don't make things the way they used to because people would buy something and keep it for like 10, 20, 50 years, a lot of them, probably 50 years. And now it's like, you do great if you can get a product to last five years, right? So anyway, it's kind of one of those side tangents that I like to go off on. But all of this fear that people would have all their needs met and not need anything else is what caused corporations to realize that they actually needed to change the way they advertise if they were going to keep selling stuff. But the one thing they needed to figure out was how do you convince people to buy things that they don't need? Enter Edward Bernays. Companies began hiring him to make their products more marketable. And he brought with him his brand new strategies of focusing on using symbols or feelings to encourage people to buy. And he focused a lot on those unconscious desires. A very Freudian inspired campaign of his was cars, that cars represent male sexuality and masculinity. And pretty sure that's still how they market sport cars to this day. But I guess you could say that Bernays' main shift away from traditional advertising was that he felt you're not selling a product for its purpose, you're selling a feeling, an image. So either the way it makes you feel or the way it makes you look, those unconscious desires. So just a few quick examples of some of the other things that Bernays was responsible for. One was making bacon and eggs an American staple for breakfast. Americans used to eat a light breakfast until Bernays was hired to sell more bacon. He also helped Betty Crocker. They had a new cake mix that required you only had to add water to make it, but it really wasn't selling. And Betty Crocker was pretty puzzled as to why this product wasn't selling because they were like, it's so convenient. You just add water. So when they hired Bernays, he suggested just 
add an egg. He said that when women are making cakes and they only use just mix and water, they feel guilty in their subconscious because they contributed very little to the actual cake. And so with this advice, the recipe was changed to require a couple of eggs. This of course made the product less convenient, but sales skyrocketed. Now, this wasn't just a housewife's like to put in a bit more effort kind of thing. No, of course not. It goes back to a Freudian concept, which I won't get into all of that now because I actually decided to go ahead and make an entire separate video on this guy because there's just so much there. And I really can't believe how much of our society that he shaped without most of us ever even having heard his name. So stay tuned for that video because that'll be my video for next week. But for now, let's just say, Bernays campaigns are responsible for a lot of things that we now just accept as a part of our daily life, but they really just started with this guy trying to increase sales of a product. In 1928, the cigarette company Lucky Strikes Tobacco hired Bernays to expand their sales. They thought that women were actually an ideal market for them, but they had a few problems. First, Lucky Strikes had a dark green packaging that just didn't really seem to appeal to women. Also said that some women thought the red target looking thing on the package just clash with their outfits, but repackaging the product was just too expensive for the company to even consider doing. And they had a second issue, which we mentioned earlier, and that was the negative public perception of women who smoke. So Bernays, of course, had a unique take on how they could solve both of these problems. First, he recommended that if the packaging had to stay green, then they should make green the premier color of the fashion season. So Bernays had a green ball campaign and what he did is he went around and he convinced French designers to incorporate green into their latest fashion lines and not just any old green but specifically that dark green that matched the Lucky Strike packaging. He also engineered a green gala at the Waldorf Astoria and this was featuring some of the socialites most prominent figures of that time so of course they're all walking around in green everybody seeing you know these celebrities and socialites in, in green. Now, to fix the issue of women smoking in public required a little more sophisticated action. To fix the issue of women smoking in public, he linked smoking to the women's rights movement or women's suffrage movement. He arranged for young, beautiful women to march down Fifth Avenue smoking cigarettes and calling them torches of freedom. Apparently there were actually a few respectable women who smoked in public, but they didn't smoke properly. <laughs> and according to George Hill, he said that these women just made a mess of smoking and he was really anxious that the clumsy displays they made would put fashionable women off from the pursuit of smoking. And so he wanted Bernays to hire a very specific type of woman for this project. They had to be convincing and appealing enough to influence the masses, but not too good looking or model-esque so as they would give any truth to the women of the night vamp stereotypes that were going on about women who smoke. So Bernays sets about designing the Torches of Freedom campaign. And this was actually the first PR stunt of its kind in the world. On March 31st, 1929, at the height of the Easter parade, which was a very big parade in New York that happened every year, a young woman named Bertha Hunt stepped out into the crowd on Fifth Avenue and created a scandal by lighting up a Lucky Strike cigarette. Now, this incident was highlighted even more because the press had been informed 
in advance that this was going to happen. And they had actually been provided with appropriate leaflets and pamphlets. But what they didn't know was that Hunt was actually Bernays' secretary and that this whole long line of events was all aimed at getting women to smoke. Bernays proclaimed that smoking was a form of women's liberation, their chance to express their newfound strength and freedom. While walking down the street smoking, Bertha Hunt told the New York Times that she got this idea when a man on the street asked her to extinguish her cigarette as it embarrassed him. And she said, I talked it over with my friends and we decided it was high time something was done about the situation. 10 young women followed Bertha Hunt down Fifth Avenue that day, burnishing their torches of freedom and newspapers enthusiastically reported on this new scandalous trend. But Bernays, he was using sexual liberation as a form of control. And this is something we see happen all the time today. If you want to get masses of women flocking to do something, just tell them that men are trying to stop them from doing it. On April 1st, 1929, the New York Times ran a story titled Groups of Girls Puff Cigarettes as a Gesture of Freedom. As women all over the country took to this newfound symbol of their emancipation aggressively, Bernays must have had the last laugh at the ironic date of the story. April Fool's. You get it? He basically made fools of them. You get it. Of course, he went on to sell cigarettes to women in other ways, such as a way to quench their cravings for sweets and stay thin. Cigarettes were marketed as making women appear glamorous and basically anything else that would ensure women got hooked on lucky strikes. As with pretty much everything else we've heard this guy do, this campaign was extremely successful because people didn't see it as them trying to sell cigarettes, which it was, this seemingly spontaneous march appeared to be a part of the movement for gender equality. Now, Lucky Strikes, who just so happened to have packaging that matched the latest Parisian fashions, was also seen as a symbol of women's rights and liberties. Between 1923 and 1929, sales for Lucky Strikes cigarettes doubled. So what do you guys think of this one? Did you know that women march for the right to smoke? Every video I do is basically someone or something that I had no idea about prior to researching it for this video. So I find this all pretty fascinating. Most of us assume that we know where our opinions come from. We tend to think that each belief we hold is a result of a rational thought out analysis, but our opinions can be subtly influenced in various ways that we're often not even aware of because we don't even realize this process is happening at all, which is why it's so important that we pay attention to what we watch and what we listen to. Edward Bernays was very aware of this phenomenon and he used this knowledge to manipulate an entire country of people and that influence can still be seen today. Make sure you subscribe and stay tuned because next week we're going to be going more in depth on some of his campaigns and just be prepared to have your mind blown because it's crazy. (laughs) 